the back room there. So come and you that are PAC team members, come. In Mark 16, he's going to, the disciples are commissioned. How many are a disciple of the Lord? A disciple means one that studies his word and tries to follow it. Is there any disciples here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. About everybody. Almost everybody. All right. He's getting ready to go back to the Father. And you know, he came not only to He came not only to save us, but he came to deliver us. Amen. The things that we struggle with before we get saved and even we can get saved and enter into a, a relationship with Jesus and we still have these weights and these sins that easily beset us. God come that we could uh, gain freedom from them. And he wants his people to walk free. That doesn't mean you're not going to ever be tempted. doesn't mean you're not going to have to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. You notice he didn't say disbelieved and be, and be unsaved. If, if salvation saved you, then it would have to say renounce your salvation or renounce your baptism. But there's people that get saved and they follow the Lord in baptism and they are just wanting God to work through them. Yeah. You know, they just want God to do something through them. How many want God to do something through you? Amen. He wants to do something through you and he wants to do something through me. He's planted our church in the worst area of Ponca City for a purpose. We are here and we are not one of these little penny any, no power churches. We are not those. We are not some penny any, little scared to death Christian. Amen. We are children of Almighty God. And we are saved by the blood of Christ. And we are overcomers. And we serve a supernatural God that heals, saves, and delivers. Amen. God wants to use you and me to advance the kingdom of God in a dark world. We are taking and liberating POWs. The devil has taken people POW. And they are in a prisoner of war situation right now. And you know when that happens, they send in people to go get those people. You know, whenever the devil has got people in his clutches, he uses his people to go and bring salvation and deliverance. Amen. While the Christians, most of the Christians, while they're sitting there thinking whether they're going to take up the call, the devil's buying up all the land. Amen. That shouldn't be. When we get saved, we should say, God, use me for whatever you want. Amen. And God will do it. God's got a plan for you and me. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Say, I know the plans that I have for me. God's got plans for me. Amen. He's got plans that are good and not evil to give you a hope and a future. Amen. There's so many people, Christians, wandering around all lollygrubs saying, I don't know what God wants me to do. I know what God wants you to do. 
He wants you to get strong in your relationship with Him. And He wants you to bring salvation, healing, and deliverance to the people around you. I wasn't stuck at that police department for 27 years for no reason at all. Amen. Amen. And you know what? I am the chaplain there. You know? We work with a, a rotation on chaplains, but I get calls all the time. You know, I talk to policemen all the time. I couldn't do that unless God put me there. But I could be there and I could work on their building and do whatever and not talk about God, be saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and, and uh, just keep it all to myself and people around me dying and going to hell and marriages breaking up and families in turmoil, children in struggles. No, God puts you where you're at to use you. One of the four pillars of our church says... We are an evangelistic church. We are a church that evangelizes. We are a church that takes ground from the devil. Listen, people, they've sterilized that idea of evangelism. They've got this little pretty idea of evangelism as being going out, knocking on doors, and giving the plan of salvation to those. And that, that is a form of evangelism. But evangelism is taking your life being right where you're at, letting God bring divine appointments to you. That's the name of my sermon today is divine appointments. God has got divine appointments that he wants to bring across your path. But so many Christians do not believe in the idea of evangelism. And I'm not talking about this little wimpy thing when you feel like it. I'm talking about evangelism. When you see a POW, you hate the devil and you go after that guy and get him out of there. That's evangelism. Evangelism is a revival where people come into the church and fill it. But let me tell you, the plan for God's evangelism is through you and through me, a person at a time. You know, some people don't take serious the calling of God. They don't take serious. They believe that this one I just read is for preachers like me. They say, oh, we'll bring them to the church and the preacher can lead them to the cross. No, 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 no. You're missing the most exciting part of your life. You're missing the most exciting thing. And that is going in there and evangelizing. That is going in there after them, witnessing to them, praying for them, leading them to the Savior. You're missing all that if you're not doing that. I challenge people all the time. I challenge them about their state of of being, you know, without God. People don't don't know there's a living hell. There's a a real burning hell. And they're going to stand before the Savior someday, and they're going to be rejected and go to hell because they reject the Savior because a lot of the church don't take serious that people are lost. If we don't take serious the idea that people are lost, people are not going to take it serious. They are trying to shut, the devil's trying to shut you and me's mouth. He's trying to censor us on social media, through YouTube and through uh, Facebook. And I look for a day that they will say, well, we can't take that because that's too much of a, a deal. You know, you can't talk about the state of people's souls. Only people know where they're at. Now, baloney. I have, met, I have met people that do not know that they're sinning. I have met that. Listen. We got to be the church wherever we're at. The church is all different. My way of witnessing and talking to people will not be George's way. 
George's will not be Pat's way. Pat's way will not be Elizabeth's way. But there'll be some similarities. There'll be in there the gospel of salvation and the love of God. There'll be in there the need of turning from sin and, give, and taking yourself off of the throne of your life and putting Jesus there. There'll be in there the need to repent and to turn to the Lord and accept Him as Savior. We will all have that in common. You know, whenever I look at this and I, and I see that, I think, you know, sometimes we go out and we hunt purposely and it's okay to knock doors. I've knocked doors in Ponca City. I've knocked doors in uh, Virginia. I've went mud hut to mud hut to mud hut to mud hut, talked to Muslims and talked to unsaved uh, people. I've talked to people, uh, you know, that, uh, that were in the church, but they haven't given God their life. You know, I've talked to all those people. And you can too. Let's go to Acts and get where I'm going here. I've, all I've done is write my scriptures down today, so we are going to have a good time. And Matthew, well, Matthew sixteen twenty six says, "For what God will it, for what good will it do a person?" In Matthew twenty sixteen twenty six, "For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world?" but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? You know, mankind is lost today. They've given things in exchange for their soul. The most important message a preacher will ever preach is a salvation message. The most important thing you can do, the Bible said, he that wins souls is wise. He's wise because he knows that the days are ticking away, second by second, day by day, year by year. You know, that person's life is getting closer to death. And you know, death, unless Jesus comes, we will die. You know, and it says here that there's people giving something in exchange for their soul. And I thought, well, what do people give in exchange for their soul? Number one, they give their self. I remember that, that native guy saying, look, I'm so-and-so. I don't need Jesus. And I said, everybody needs Jesus. And he said, no, you don't understand, Jack. I do not need Jesus. I said, well, when you and I die, what will happen? He said, we turn to worm dirt. I said, that's fantastic. If you're right and I'm wrong, I've been deceived and had a wonderful, happy shout and praise God in my deluded life. I've been taken out of occultism. I've been saved away from drinking. I've been pushed away from uh, stealing uh, pills. And I said, God has saved me. God has changed me. He's in, I get to preach every Sunday and encourage people in God. I said, man, what can I have better? And I die and I go to worm dirt. I've had a fantastic life. You get drunk all the time, get high all the time, sleep with whatever you want to sleep with, live your life because you're on the throne of your life. And when you die, fantastic, we're worm dirt. If you're right and I'm wrong, what have we lost? But, I, but my Bible tells me there's a judgment day coming. Amen. And that judgment day says that every man will stand before God and he will give an account of himself. And everything that we do in our body will be revealed to us and to God. And we will see it for what it really, really is. 
And I said, at that point, I will go to the throne room of God because I know where I was. I knew how filthy I was. I knew my need to turn to God. And I did it. And God saved me. And he's written my name in the book of life. And when they open that book, it'll say, Jack Adams, and I'll go into those gates. And I said, I'll spend my days, the rest of my eternity, worshiping the Lord and being with my family and and seeing my wife again and and just having a wonderful time glorifying God. I'll see you again. Praise God. But if if I'm right and you're wrong, you'll stand before God. The books will be open and all of your sin will be exposed and you will see how wicked and vile it is before God. And you will see that that the Lord will say, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. That word, I never knew you, is the same context that it says that Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate relationship. There was no intimate relationship. He didn't say, I once knew you, and then it lost it. He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. And he said, he'll say, depart from me, you wicked. And he will be sent to a literal burning hell. And then that will be taken to a lake of fire. And I said, your soul won't die there. I said, your soul will burn and your consciousness will live. And you will feel it and you'll feel the loneliness and you'll feel the pain and you'll feel hell for what it really is. Because God's, not because God is bad, but because God let you have what you wanted and he told you the circumstances of it. Sometimes people need to know that they're sinners. Ten years later, had the same talk. He hadn't moved a bit. Today, as far as I know, he has not moved off of his stance. You know, but day by day, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, me and him are getting closer to that day that we'll go somewhere. You know? I, I hate to think about it, but the, our little talks will come up on that day to him. And he'll see the opportunities throughout life that he had. You know, I don't want anybody to go to hell. People even come into this church and some of them aren't even saved. There may be people watching by the internet right now and nobody's ever told them this. Amen. But that, that's what the Bible says in Revelations. At the end of the book, in around chapter 20, 21, Somewhere in there, it's, it talks about a great white throne judgment. Yes. It talks about what will happen to them. Some of these unsaved people may be in our church. Some of these unsaved people may be in our family. We may have children. We may have a wife or a husband. We may have, uh, you know, people in our own family that do not have a relationship with yes. God. Listen, evangelism starts, number one, here. It starts with our personal family. They must be involved in this. You say, well, they won't listen to me. You would be surprised. Debbie's Caldwell's father was dying. And he had tubes all down him and everything. And Debbie said, would you go see him? He He had renounced God. He was mad at God about something. And he was dying. I said, Vern, I said, you know you're dying. He shook his head, yeah. And I said, listen, I don't know how much time we got, but listen to me. I said, do you believe there's a God? And he shook his head, yes. I said, do you believe Jesus is his son? He shook his head, yes. And I said, do you believe he died for you to save you from your sins? He shook his head, yes. I said, Vern, do you have Jesus in your heart? And he 
bent down on that tube. And, and I said, do you want Jesus in your heart? And he went like that. Every two hours. I sat out there for a long time. Every two hours, I went and did the same thing. I watched him grow weaker and weaker and weaker. And I knew his time was coming quick. And I went in and I said one last time, Vern, do you want Jesus as your Savior? And at that point, tears filled his eyes. The, the tubes were down his throat. He couldn't talk. But tears filled his eyes and he shook his head, yes. And I said, I know you can't speak right now. But if you'll say this prayer to Jesus, he'll save you. And I led that man in a sinner's prayer. I'll see burn up in heaven. You know what was cool? I got a load of books one day, and I found a Bible. It was his old Bible that he had had when he was much younger. And I took it to Debbie. I said, Debbie, I got a bunch of books, and this is your daddy's Bible. You know, it was almost like God says, I want you to know that your daddy's safe. You know, how safe can a person be? They can be safe so much that the seal of God is upon them, that they're in the hand of God, that they're covered with the blood of God, that they're taken out of the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of God's dear son. There's a bloodline between them and God. Now, if the devil could get to you, he'd have to cross the blood. He'd have to break the seal of the Holy Spirit. He'd have to come under the blood. He'd have to get into the hand of God. And if he does that, he'll call you brother. Listen. He'll have to get saved. The devil would have to get saved to get to you. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. Mm. We got to be active. Yes. It's time for us to get off our butts and be active. Yes. It's time for us to do something every single day for God. Yes. Amen. I don't care if it hair lips the devil. I don't care. I don't care if it puts somebody's panties in a wad. I really don't give a hoot. You know, I would rather tell you the truth than to tell you just to live your happy life without ever being active for God. That's why the people fall out of the church. That's why people think church is boring because they don't take it every day on fire and advance the kingdom of God action. I had a lay preacher in a church tell me that I was a dangerous man. And I thought, that's just too good to be true. If I'm so dangerous, Rick, i got to find out why. Amen. He's a lay preacher in a big church, and he said, because you're militant in your Christianity. And I thought, well, praise God! Man, you know what? He's dead and I'm not. You know? As far as I know, I don't know whether he ever did anything. You know? I don't know why they even put him as a lay minister. Help me not be out of turn, Lord. He may have done a lot, but I didn't see it. I'll put it that way. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to read an interesting deal here. We are going to read an interesting thing. I've got to find it. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Philip, they're having a big revival. Great things are happening. Uh, false, false Christians were being exposed, you know, because uh, Simeon saw that the Spirit was bestowed upon people on, by, the laying hands of, by the hands of the disciples being laid. And he said, get here, here's some money, give me that power. You know, he was, a, he was a, an occultist. All which is all occultists, all they want is power and control, you know. And here's this guy, 
he, it says he believed. He believed in the sense that he believed that there was a God and that there was a Jesus. But his heart had never changed. And the reason his heart has never changed is because of this. He was thriving and looking for that power. His heart wasn't with him. And even, uh, you know, they even tell him here, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the, the Lord, if possible, the intentions of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the goal of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity, in the bondage of sin. But Simon answered and said, Oh, pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you say may come upon me. He didn't even know he was sinning. He was unsaved and didn't know it. He, he had a mind that there was a Jesus. He even followed him into the baptistry tank. But there was no heart change. You know, they say, Jack, if I get saved, will I be saved? And I said, it depends on what you do with Jesus. I said, some people are saved during that process because they believe on the Lord and follow him. Some people are saved before that process. And you know what? Some people are never water baptized and they're still saved. Water baptism doesn't save us. Water baptism is a, is a commitment to follow the Lord. It's an outward expression that you have died to your life and come up a new person. And they and you, and I said, you know, I believe, though, that you can go down a dry center and come up a wet center. Yeah. You know, it's what you do with Jesus in your heart. It's where you put the authority of God in your life. Amen. Listen, here it goes. If we go to verse 25, we're going to read an interesting thing. Uh, let's see. Acts, 20, Acts 8, 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord... They started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages in the Samaritans. Let me tell you something. I've preached in villages. And I know what, it hadn't changed much through these years. They hold meetings where the village comes out. But then there's meetings that you go house to house, mud hut to mud hut. And you talk to the men and women of those, of those huts. And you take the gospel that way too. You know, when you go on a mission, if you go with Scotty and me, you better not be prepared just to rest. You better be prepared to work your fanny off because we move constantly, don't we? Yeah, there's not much rest. There is not much rest at all. When you get back after two weeks, you're tired. You're ready for a vacation. And you also want to kiss the dirt, and you don't care who the president is. You want to kiss the dirt when you get back and say, Oh, God, I thank you. I live in a wonderful country. Listen, it says here, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Isn't this interesting? Who in the world is Philip? If you go back to Acts chapter 6, you're going to find a struggle in the church. And then, boom, the church went from 120 to like 3,000 or more. And we had widows in the church, and they weren't getting fed. And some of the Greek-speaking widows, Greek-speaking Jews... Were being prejudiced against. Well, the disciples were working their fatty off trying to hold meetings, trying to witness to people, trying to spread the gospel, trying to set up churches, and they were they were burdened heavily with these widows. And I don't think it was eight or nine. I think it was hundreds. And I think that they were burdened with these widows that had no nothing, and they they needed a food program, Mike. They needed a, a food pantry. And so nobody would feed those. So he said, okay, choose me seven men full of the Holy Ghost and good, good works. And, and they chose these seven. You know, Philip was one of those seven. Look at that. He worked in the food pantry. You know, that, 
Mike does stuff that you guys don't even see. He comes down at times that you wouldn't even show up. You know, Mike reaches people that, you know, are kind of scary sometimes. He reaches, there's some, you know, when you come down, you don't know what people have on them. You don't know what they're doing. You go into some houses and you get to see some really bad situations there, you know. But this man, Philip, he was in these meetings and he was preaching. You know that? Listen, let me tell you, you can preach while you stack cans on a shelf. You can preach while you sweep a floor and clean a toilet. You can preach whenever you're just walking around and visiting somebody for lunch. You can preach while you're working on a building. You can preach wherever you're at. That place is your platform. You know what they tell me? They say, Jack, where do you want your pulpit? No, I say, I don't care. Just give me a place to stand. That's all I need. All I need in this world is a place to stand. And if you stand where you're at, God's got better things for you. You will continue to do things and you'll meet people and you'll be able to spread the gospel and the love of God to them. It says that Philip had the Spirit of God talk to him. And he said, get up and go south. I sat down last night and I was struggling. I said, Lord, what do you want for tonight or for today? And I began to pray, and I felt the Spirit of God talking to me about this message. And I thought, God, I thank you that I can hear your voice. I mean, it was just so clear to me that night. You know, he said, I want you to go down here to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Here's the one thing. God's already gave us the green light. At the Great Commission, you've got the green light for God to begin to witness and to begin to get a hold of people. To begin to talk to people and begin to plant seeds and water seeds and harvest. I haven't met a farmer yet that doesn't plant seeds, water them, and harvest. Some people say, oh, I'm not a harvester. I just plant seeds or I just water. No, 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 no. Farmers harvest. Farmers do all of that. You know, Rick can testify to that. Farmers do all of that stuff. What good would a farmer be if all he did was plant seeds? You know? What good would it be if all he did was irrigate? You know? What good would it be if he didn't harvest some of the crop? You know? Listen to this. God wants you to harvest your crop. I don't think you get that. God wants you to harvest your crop. There's people that God wants you to lead them to the cross. There's people that want that work around you or that are around you that you need to have some serious talks with. There's people that's going to cross your path that you God's got you there and they're coming this way and your path crosses at a divine appointment. And God's got that. Listen, if you don't say something, they'll go on and you'll go on. Listen, the Spirit said, go. That's the first thing you got to do. Go. You got to get up. You know, the first two letters of God is go. You know, the first three letters of Satan is sat. I'd rather go for God than sat with Satan. You know, eternity for somebody relies upon you. Listen, he says, get up and go. There's people today that are searching. 
the Ethiopian eunuch was searching. He wasn't even a saved man. He, he, he knew the God of Israel and he would go and try to worship the God of Israel. But he needed salvation. How do you know that? Because Philip was there. And that's what that whole situation is about, is that man getting saved. So this is a guy that goes to the church, hears the gospel, and he, and he loves God. He loves the idea of God, but he doesn't know how to get to him. Amen. I think this Ethiopian's heart was searching, and God brought Philip right across his path. I remember one time that I was at the police department and for some weird Saturday, and I don't go into the lobby on a Saturday, but some weird Saturday, I came into the lobby. And there was some little teenage girl, about 15, 16 years old, and her dad brought her in because she stole the car. Well, they're going to file, you know, Grand Theft Auto on her. You know, she stole the car. She was in tears. She was crying. And I looked at him and her and I said, you know what? I said, I'm a preacher. I'm a Christian. And you know why you stole that car, hun? I said, you stole that car because you need God. And tears begin to swell in her eyes. Tears begin to swell in dad's eyes. And I talked to him about their need of God, him and her. I said, there's a God that can save you and change you. Amen. You know? Why did I get to talk to him? Because I was going this way. By the Spirit of God, God was telling me, get into that lobby. And I just said, okay. So I'm headed to the lobby. And there was that girl and her daddy. Yeah. Oh, how many people I found in the jail. And they'd be sitting there. And I'd say, man, you really need a relationship with God. Is that true, anybody that's ever been here? Is that true? Every single time. Yeah. Every single day. Every single time. Yep. Every time she was searching for God. She didn't even know it. Yep. You know, but God had her number. I always tell people the reason you're in jail is because I'm here. And they look at me like, what? Like you little snitch. And I said, the reason you're here is I'm here. I said, you know why God put me here? To tell you that God loves you. To tell you that there's a better way than this. And look at this. Elizabeth today is not sitting in jail. She's in the house of God. And she's serving God. I have not been in any trouble in 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. What a blessing of God. God changed her life. Unless God changes her nature, she'll be back. You know? No, you would not, because God changed your nature. But I, and I tell people that. I say, oh, I'll see you probably in about two weeks, those that want to fight with me. And most of the time you were right. Yeah. Yeah, because they didn't have a heart change. They didn't have a nature change that only comes through a relationship with God. I've seen prisoner after prisoner that get saved and walk on. I've seen bad cops become good cops. I've prayed with cops in their skibbies. In the, in the men's locker room, you know? I prayed with some of the ones that you guys, some of you might say he was the dirty cop. I prayed with, I knew a DA that I would talk to about God. And you know what he did? He met me one time in uh, Walmart. <coughs> oh, it's hard to say that word. Met me in Walmart. <laughs> I literally do not go there. And I haven't went there in months. But, but you know, I, I met him. 
And he says, Jack, I got to tell you something. I said, what? And he said, you know, I was a dirty DA. And I said, yeah. And he said, you know, I had begun talking to another preacher. And he said, one time I just thought, I can't live like this no more. He said, I went and I gave my life to God. And that man's got a good job now. He's got a wonderful family now. And he's living for God and he is in the house of God. Last time I heard he's in the house of God. God can take a a DA and change him. You know, God can do all things. But there's this divine appointment and he said, go. And he said, go to a, not to a wonderful, beautiful place. He said, I want you to go to this dirty little road. Like a dirty little back road, Oklahoma. I want you to go to that desert road. You know, the big fancy roads, people are going and, they, and they're just doing their own thing. But there are people that get off on these little dirt roads, these, these lives. The dirt road is like a life that's just really sad and it's really lonely and it's just really messed up. It's full of potholes. It's tearing their life up all to pieces. Maybe addiction, maybe uh, pornography addiction, sex addiction. can be alcohol, drugs. You know, let me tell you. Do not accept the idea that addiction is a disease. It is not a disease. You can't culture it. You can't grow it. You can't do it. People are not born addicted. People become addicted because of a moral thing in their life that they begin to do that will grab them spiritually, physically, and mentally. And it has a three-pronged attack in your mind, in your body, and in in your spirit. And I'll tell you what the, the head of all addiction is. Every addiction, the head of that thing is an idol. You are thinking more about that and more about that. That idol consumes your thoughts and then you go to it and you worship it. There was a girl that called me one time and she was smoking pot. And, And she just couldn't, she felt weird about that, you know. And I said, I said, well, maybe pot is your idol and she came and told me, she said, you know, Brother Jack, I went home and I thought about what you said and I thought about what you said and, and I thought about it. And so I went to my pot plants and I looked at it and I thought, oh, my God, she had a layer of pot plants, then a littler layer of pot plants, a littler layer of pot plants, and then a mighty pot plant that sat on the top with lights shining down upon them. And she said, I never realized it, but I thought, oh, my God, I have even built an altar to this thing. I knew a guy that when he got saved back in 80, 81, somewhere, he told me, he said, he said, I went home and he said, I had $900, this is like 80, 81, $900 and so in pot. And he said, I took it out to my backyard and he said, I put it all in this big bathtub that I had. He said, I burn it. And all the cows got weird and the sheep got weird. <laughs> but, but he said, I burnt, he burnt up his pot because that thing was an idol to him. You know? Sometimes alcohol can be an idol. But all addiction, all addiction is an idol. It just is a way to change our feelings. It's a way to find relief instead of running to God. Food was my idol. So I did a drastic measure to cut away my idol. Amen. Amen. And I am nothing but better for it. Listen. It said go. So you got to go. You can't sit with Satan. You got to go with God. It says go. That's a proactive thing. Listen. Go. And he takes him to the back roads. He takes him to people that are really searching. People whose heart 
has been watered, who's been nurtured, and they just want God, but they don't know how to get there. I remember a witch that was in jail one time, and I kept coming in and checking on her. It was like God said, go check on the girls, go check on the girls. And I said, okay, I'll go check on the girls. I go in there, and there she is. And she says, I want what you got. I said, well, what do I have? And she says, you've got God, and I want God. And I said, well, wait a minute. The Bible says to count the cost. Because I knew she was a witch, and I knew that witches like power. And I said, I said, the Bible says to count the cost. And I talked to her about being a servant of Christ. And I talked to her about the need to, to take witchcraft out of their lives and, and to accept Jesus as their Savior. Yeah. And she said, I want it. And I said, well, think about it. She says, no, Jack, I want it now. Yeah. I said, well, okay, let's pray. And I took her to the cross. I can't put her into heaven, but I can take her to the cross. And I said, you've got to give your life to the Lord. She broke down and gave her heart to God. And then she said, I've got something. Don't leave, Jack. Don't leave. I've got something I've got to give you. And she gave me her witchcraft books. Witchcraft, three or four witchcraft books that she had in her cell. And I said, hang on just a minute. And I took those nasty, slimy things and I destroyed them. That's what I did. But I, took her, I brought her a Bible and I said, this is the Bible. I said, this thing will keep you out of sin and sin will keep you out of this thing. I said, you, you read this and you eat this and you consume this and you begin to live this. As far as I know, she still has a, a love for God and still going on with God. Listen, there's people on roads. You may say, I don't, you know, I don't know why I'm at this penny any job. I don't know why I can't find a job right now. Why does, why does so-and-so always want to eat dinner with me? You know, why does he always want to go out to lunch? You know, if they're unsaved people or Christians that are struggling, it's so that you can impact them. So that God can use you to give them something. Listen, I don't have silver and gold, but such as I have, give I thee. We can impart something. We can impart more than what we can dream of. We can impart by our spirit, we can impart joy, we can impart encouragement, we can impart all kinds of things that, like that. We can impart uh, life and encouragement and help and strength. We can impart all that. There was a filthy-mouthed uh, detective, and I was praising the Lord. I'm always whistling, and I'm always happy, and they call me Reverend, they call me, uh, you know, they call me, they call me uh, Happy Jack, or they'll call me, uh, oh, what's the guys call me? Uh, preacher, preacher, or Reverend Brother Jack. They'll call me that stuff. And I'm like, this guy who's an atheist has just called me brother. You know? <laughs> but, 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 you know, I seen that filthy-mouthed detective coming down the hall, and I was, I was over there going, <laughs> and I was whistling, I was praising God in my little closet. And I, and I remembered what Brother Miller said. He said, whoever's got the stronger spirit, it will, it will flow over. So I thought, well, I'm going to put on a spirit of praise because I'm not going to let his filthy mouth, cussing, ranting, and raving attitude, mad at the world attitude, come on me. When he got from about me to, to uh, you, you know, when he got for, to, huh? Ru- yeah, to Ronnie. <laughs> Give me a break, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When I get down to Ron, when he got down to about Ronnie, he started whistling. He started whistling, Rick. And then when he got down to Mike, when he got down, when he got down to Mike, 
He quit whistling and started cussing and raving again. So I thought, this is great. I know he's got to come back because he's went down to booking to get something. So when he was coming back, I just began to praise God even deeper. He did the exact same thing. You know, I know a secret. They'll call me in when prisoners are ranting and raving. And I've learned the secret that if you put on a spirit of joy, it will affect a cell block. It will affect people. You know? The devil cannot drown out a single word. That's why the devil wants you sad, depressed, whining, moping. That's why he wants you all that. Yeah, it causes him to tremble. He said, join yourself. Look at this. He said, join yourself to that chariot. You know? So you got to go. And then he says, listen to the Spirit. The Spirit said, join yourself to that chariot. So... Philip goes up and he joins himself to a strange chariot. Well, it wasn't just anybody. This was, this was a, a high-ranking man. And he had come back from Jerusalem. He was, a, he was a Gentile, but he was a God worshiper. He didn't have a relationship with God, but he wanted one. And he sits there and he said, uh, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to the Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, high-ranking dude in Ethiopian society, who was in charge of all treasure. He held the purse strings to all of Ethiopia. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Philip ran up, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? So he says, listen to the Spirit. Go, listen to the Spirit, because God's got people in your path. And he went up there and he joined himself to the chariot. Now look, I am a recluse. If I can do this, you can do this. You know, I'm a melancholy in my temperament. That means that I like to be alone, and I'm very, very melancholy. I like to be really alone. You know, you can ask Beck. If I get into something, I hide away in my little man cave office and study and pray and just be with the Lord. Well, Becky's a melancholy too, you know that? So she goes away to her bedroom, watches evil shows. No, she, she, goes, she goes away to her bedroom. She doesn't watch evil shows. Well, just a couple of them maybe. But she goes away and she watches TV and she, sometimes she's spending time with the Lord down there. She's doing... And you say, is your marriage great? I wouldn't be married to anybody else. You could parade them in front of me and I would always choose her. I would always choose her because I love her and she loves me. And we get along fantastic. Mm -hmm. We've learned how two melancholies can live together and meet each other's needs and care for each other. You know, but he said, go up there. And he said, do you understand what you read? And he said, No. So why are you reading it? You know, you don't even understand it. My God, some of these college books, I think, why is he writing this way? Surely to God he doesn't talk this way. I have to have my dictionary there to find out what he's even saying. Sometimes. You know, but this Ethiopian eunuch was crying out for God. And he said, go. And get up there and, and, and uh, find, out what you, find out what he's doing. So he goes up there, he listens to the Spirit, and then he makes contact. So he went there, Tyson, and he made contact. You have got to make contact with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. 
the reason that people don't catch fish is they're not even going fishing. And if they get in the boat and go out, they're going where there's no fish. You got to go where there's fish to catch fish. Jesus told Peter, I'll make you a fisher of men. He spoke in a language that Peter would understand. Peter captures fish. You know, now he's going to capture people for the kingdom of God. And he said, go up, join yourself, make contact. And he said, in, uh, where are we at? He was reading Isaiah. And he said, do you understand? And he said, no. He said, well, how could I? Listen to this. How could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Isn't this exciting? He goes in there, and Philip finds out that this guy has been going to Jerusalem to worship. The the rabbis and stuff have been teaching from Isaiah from different things, and they probably teach him from Isaiah here because that's where he's at. He's trying to understand what are these rabbis teaching? What are they talking about? And he's trying to put it over and over in his mind. And Philip joins himself. He gets up in the chair. You know, if you just put yourself out there, people will make a way in your life. Listen, if they don't make a way, bully yourself into their life. I have bullied myself into some prisoners' lives. You know? I I get them out and God will say, get so-and-so. And I'll get him out and he doesn't even like me. He doesn't want to be around me. He hates cops. But I hold something. He gets $25 a day if he works. It cuts his time off from the back. You know, God will give you an opportunity to speak. Deborah may be at school one day and all of a sudden one of the teachers are having a real hard problem. And Deborah can come up and say, how are you doing? Are, Are you okay? And then in that discussion, she'll listen to what's going on and then she'll flip it and begin to talk to them about their need of God. And about the Lord. She'll pray for him. She'll encourage him. You know? Listen. He said. He says here. Go. Listen to the spirit. Make contact with the people. uh, Speak and use scripture. Look at this. He says. In verse 32. Now the passage of scripture. Which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture to preach Jesus to him. Now this is interesting. Not only did he join himself, he spoke and he used scripture. God had already provided a scripture that was a pure prophecy of Jesus Christ. And he, he began to open his mouth. Sometimes we need to begin to open our mouth. And we need to use scripture. And we need to talk to, to people about the love of God that's that shed for them. And the need of God in their life. And, and he did that. And he said, and they went along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, Water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, kept preaching the gospel to all cities until he came to Caesarea. He vanished. Yeah. 
He went down. All I know is I, I, the guy had me. I went down. I come up and I looked and I was in the water by myself. It's better than Star Trek. You know, God just beamed him away. Put him in another area. And you know what he did? He kept preaching the gospel wherever he went. He just kept going, man. You can't stop this guy. You know, he, and he talked about Jesus. And, and, and you know, there's one thing you need to do. When you see a person that wants Jesus, lead them to the cross. We can't save them, but we can lead them to the cross. I love that story that I heard a long time ago where, it, where this guy had uh, bought a piece of land and there was an old junky garage apartment stuff on there. And the guy said, I want, I'll pay top quality for that land. And that guy said, well, look, you know, it's an old junky house. It's, and let, me, let me fix it up a little bit, put new doors on it. Because it's not worthy to be paid top price. He says, I don't care. I will, I will pay top price for that. He said, man, the land's not worth it. The house isn't worth it. He said, let me at least fix it up. He says, no, because when I get the land, I'm going to bulldoze the house down. I'm going to build a new thing. God's not interested in them becoming a fixed up sinner. Jesus didn't come to fix up the sinner. He came to tear down our old life. And he come to give us a new heart and a new nature. And that's what we need to let them know is that God wants to bulldoze down your old life. That one guy in jail, he said, I'm just, I'm sick of this. I'm so tired of life. And I said, I bet you are. And he goes, you know, Jack, I just feel like killing myself. I feel like I, ought to, I need to kill myself. I said, you're right. You sure do need to do that. And I said, you need to do that as quickly as possible. You know? And he said, What? And he said, you need to die. I said, man, you're just the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in this jails. I said, you, you know, your life is crap. Your, your family's gone. All this is bad. And I said, you're just the most pathetic thing that I've ever seen. You need to die, and you need to die just as soon as you can. And then he sat there and he thought, what is he doing? Well, that's how I counsel people, especially suicidal people. Yeah. <laughs> and then I told him, I said, you know what I mean by die? And he said, no. You mean not kill myself? I said, no. I said, what I mean by die is you need a new life. I said, you need a new heart. You need a new life. You need a new beginning, man, with new hope. You know? And I said, the reason I'm happy and the reason I rejoice every morning, and I get up even on the hard days and say, it's still a great day with God. No matter what I'm going through, Beck will testify. Jason will testify. He said, Dad, please, not music this morning. I'll be singing, it's a beautiful morning. It's a wonderful day. And Jason will go, ah. You know? I said, get up, buddy. It's a great day with God. You know? I said, the reason I'm happy is because one day I lost my life. I said, the Bible said he that keeps his life will lose it. If you keep your old life and you do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, and you're still the God of your life, the day will come when you will lose everything at death. You'll lose your soul. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? You know? And I said, but there's a God that doesn't want to just fix you up. He wants to give you a new heart and a new life and a new beginning. You know? And that man, he, I don't know whether he ever really followed through or not, but he listened to me. You know, they'll listen to you. So uh, I could tell the story also about the little boy that was lost in, in uh, England. And he said, I, he said, Bobby, talking to the police, he said, I live in Whitechapel. 
He said, well, son, I can take you there. It's just what address? And he goes, well, I don't know, but I know this. There's a big white cross that sits in Whitechapel. If you can get me to the cross, I can get home from there. You know, our job, we can't get them into heaven, but we can take them to the cross. And then they have to make a choice at that point. What am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with him? And we can, we can preach and we can lift them up and we can pray for them. We can, we can lead them in a prayer that will say, if you'll say this prayer and you'll mean it with all your heart and you'll get off the throne of your life and give Jesus your life, I said, he will save you. Yes. You know, pray with them. Speak in you scripture, talk about Jesus, lead them to the cross, pray with them, help them to come to God, and then you've got a brand new baby. Get them into this house of God. Yeah. I used to say, oh, brother, if you're assembly of God, go to that. If you're a Baptist, go to that. This is where we get fed. Bring them to your church. Mm-hmm. Bring them to your church so they can get fed and edified. Bring them to your church so their children can be taught the scriptures. I told them, I said, don't teach about love and happiness and stuff. Read them Bible stories. Teach them the Bible. Teach them scripture. I said, we, there'll be time to talk about love and all that stuff. But right now, they need to know the stories of the Bible. They need to know that God, about Jesus' life and his sacrifice. That's right. Yeah, let, let him be he with the Lord. And let me tell you, I know that he was praying because, let me tell you, for two hours after I came out of that doctor's office, I hugged him and I told him, I said, Dad, I said, I got good news. I got it in black and white. I'm paying for free. All right. Oh, he hugged me. I yeah. said, it was no tomorrow. Let me tell you, for two hours all the way home. Most generally, he would listen to his music, but for two hours all the way home, he told me, and he had tears rolling down his eyes, and out of the 30 years I've been married to this man, I've never seen him weep like he weeped on this day. He weeped, and he told me, he says, you know, God showed me a miracle. I prayed for you, and God healed you. He said, I'm so thankful. God heard my prayer. Yes. He touched my husband's heart. Yes, he did. He is showing my husband. Yep. The Lord is there for my husband. My husband is right. realizing that. He's realizing his need yes. of God and he's crying out to God. Let me tell you, divine appointments. Watch for them. Watch for them because they're coming. They may come when you walk out of these doors today. You know, today... I just want to ask, and I'm talking to internet people and I'm talking to people here at the church, is there someone today that says, Jack, I need to give my life to God. I need to turn my heart to God and get off the throne of my life. I'm ready to do that. Is there anybody here? Anybody here that says, I 
I know about God, but I'm really not walking with him. But I, I'm tired of this. I want to walk with him. If you're watching by internet today, and that's you, we're going to pray. Father, today, God, you see us. And Lord, those that do not know you today, I just pray, God, that you would use this service and use this uh, service here, Lord, to, to touch the hearts of people. Lord, get a hold of sinners today that need their life changed. Lord, let them call out to you. Give you their lives and take up the Bible and follow you. Let them get into the house of God, Lord, a good, solid house of God. And Lord, if they're here in Ponca or somewhere and this is where they're supposed to be, then bring them here. And Father, those, God, that are sitting home today, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring healing and strength into their lives. Lord, encourage them and lift them up. And Father, Lord, I pray, God, for Christians that have been off the, off the cart, Lord, they need to get back in a strong relationship with you. God, as they turn their hearts to you and, and talk to you, Lord, today, let them make a dedication, Lord, to, to get back in the house of God, to begin to take the Bible and begin to reach out. And Father, Lord, I pray, God, that they would stretch and that, God, that this, this service would go all over the world. And I ask for a mighty harvest. And Lord, I pray for us here. Lord, you've put us here to be an evangelistic church. And I pray, God, right now that you would stir that spirit of evangelism and revival in us. I pray, God, right now that you would use each and every one of us, God, to touch lives, to encourage people. I pray, Father, right now, God, that you would use us, God, in a mighty way. That we would be able to testify next Sunday morning of lives that God brought across our path. And that, and that we were able to witness to and to lead to the cross. Father, Lord, I pray, God, right now for your grace, and I pray, Lord, for your help. Bless each and every home, God, and strengthen them and help them, Father. And thank you for those watching by Internet. Bless them and take care of them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God's got something great for you. Tonight at 5 o'clock is packed team uh, back in the